Hey everybody and welcome to the Young Adults Today podcast where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. Here are your hosts, Josiah and Micah Keneally. Hey, what's up guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally. I'm Josiah Keneally and we're your hosts of the Young Adults Today podcast where we talk about reaching the Mm -hmm. next generation in our world today. Thanks for joining us on the journey and we're joined today by Ken Harrison. Ken, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. We had a blizzard here yesterday and I found out it's supposed to snow again Friday night and Monday. So we got eight inches in like nine hours. So I'm enjoying the beautiful white. I was going to ask you because here in Colorado, we got about four inches right now. We hadn't, it was 52 on Thanksgiving. And then two, three days later, we are in eight inches of snow and more to come. So it's going to be a white Christmas here, I believe. So (laughs) you're in the winter wonderland and, uh, You guys know that we drop new episodes every Monday morning Mm -hmm. to help you start your week off strong in your life, in your faith, Mm -hmm. in your leadership. And um, we appreciate you sharing this conversation with others who are going to be encouraged. Maybe they need that pick me up and you get to be the friend who brings good news. And Ken Harrison is the volunteer chairman and CEO of the Promise Keepers, where he works to inspire men to be bold, faithful, and godly fathers and husbands. He's also the CEO of Waterstone, which helps Christian donors give away $2 million, get this, weekly for God's kingdom. And we're going to have a conversation um, really about having faith in a world that lacks faith. And in fact, maybe even a daring faith in a cowardly world. But Ken, can we kick it to you? We want to get to know you a little better. Can you share some of your story of life, family leadership with us this morning? Yeah, mine mine is a very typical and a very odd story, both at the same time. So my dad was shot on the Los Angeles Police Department in the Watts riots in 1965. And uh, he retired about eight years later from complications from that and moved us up to Oregon. And he got saved at the Tri-City Baptist Temple and uh, when I was five years old. And I ran up the aisle after him and received Christ right there. And I really did receive Christ. Wow. Um, unfortunately, we got involved in a very legalistic, you know, rules-oriented 1970s, you know, rock and roll movies, cards, uh, alcohol, anything. If it was fun, it was evil. And uh, that wasn't the Christ that I knew. I was filled with the Spirit at five, which is really weird when you're in a Baptist church and, and you don't really know at that young age what's going on. So at the age of 12, I started really, really reading scripture, like very diligently because I felt like I wasn't being taught what the Jesus that I knew. So I had this weird um, sort of childhood thing of, you know, it's, it's gotten me to really have a great love of the freedom in Christ and a great love for inherence of scripture, both because they're both true and, um, and a real disdain for the sort of pharisaical, people who want to control the outside of how people act without really worrying about what the inside is. And I think, you know, again, we we were talking before we started, we'll go deep quickly. You know, it's part of the problem we have right now in Christian nationalism, Mm -hmm. where we are in the church of there's a temptation for us to want to get people to behave the way we would like them to behave without changing their heart. And that's Mm -hmm. called tyranny, right? And, And changing the heart is the hard work of going out there and telling people about Christ and taking risks and being hated and all those different things. So that's the very short version. I'm sure we'll get into the rest of my story later, but. I absolutely love that. And Ken, I just think that we can, we live in a world, believer or non-believer, we can 
modify our behavior and almost become a chameleon, whether it's a chameleon Christian or just whatever setting we're in, we can become somebody that we're not just to blend in and to feel comfortable, to feel loved, to feel accepted. And I know that when we lean into the things of our past or the decisions that we've made as individuals or humans, leaders, parents, um, spouses, wherever people are at right now is the enemy tries to kill, still steal, kill, and destroy every element of who we are. And one way that I think he really tries to infiltrate our mind mm. is through is through our past mistakes, whether that's dealing with the fear or dealing with the shame and the guilt of whatever might be holding us back. So I'd just be so curious, like when we're um, living in a world and we want to coward back, and there is this cowardly world where it's like it's, it's easier easier to stand back, stand down, blend in instead of stand out and swim against swim against culture um, as a believer um, just in everyday living. And that's what many of our young adults are against. That's what many leaders, whether they want to accept it or not, are up against. So when we're dealing with the fear and the shame as Christ followers, how do we process that? And how do we deal with that? Not manage it, but how do we deal with it head on and discover the root to allow God to come in to heal instead of allow the enemy to come in and kill. Well, you said that. Well, I love how you guys are named after a prophet and a priest. I mean, a king, excuse me. Yeah. So now you just name one of your children after a priest and you'll have all three. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think Aurora is going to be a priest name, but you know, you'll, you'll find the priest name. Um, that's put really well. We all have gone through trauma as kids. Mm-hmm. All of us. Mm-hmm. What happens is that trauma can then begin to shape our identity and Satan will continue to throw things that will reiterate that false identity that we have. And so in that, you mentioned the book, a daring faith in a cowardly world. Um, One of the things I go into is the sermon on the Mount, which is to say, if Jesus gave us the entire salvation message in John three 16, if you believe you're saved, right. Then what are all the rest of his words about? Well, they're about becoming holy. How do we experience the true power Mm-hmm. the joy, the unity that Jesus promised, the Sermon on the Mount, all those words. And what does he say over there over and over again? You've got to die to yourself daily. What does that mean? You've got to die to all these things that you think you know about yourself and reconnect with the Lord, realizing that, um, and I think the evangelical church has put a wrong identity in a lot of people. We, we identify too often as sinners. You're a sinner and you're saved by God. So, hey, you're really bad, but he loves you anyway. Well, What's your identity? I'm a sinner. No. What's my identity? I was a sinner. I was saved. Now I'm reborn. I'm a new creature. I am a son or daughter of the most high God. And now I have a, a, a plan for him, Ephesians 2.10, that was laid out at the beginning of time for me to accomplish. What an awesome goal and, and there is. Yeah. Therefore, we die to self daily and dwell on that scripture. We, we get rid of all the trauma. And I still, you know, I'm 55 years old. I've had a crazy life that we'll get into at some point. I've done lots of things. I still cannot stand rules because of how I was raised. I I just chafe at, at Christians telling me what I can or can't do. I mean, and it's not to say that, you know, we had one pastor here who said, you know, I, I come to Colorado and it makes me so angry because I hear about Christians who come to Colorado and they buy marijuana. I'm like, so are you kidding me? It's the most evil thing ever. I go, and that's in where in the Bible? I mean, I'm not saying I don't, I've never had done marijuana. I have no desire to do marijuana and I wouldn't counsel a Christian to do it, but don't start saying negative things about people and judgmental things. If it's not in scripture, 
if you want to say it's probably not a good idea to do it, I'm with you. But to say how horrible are they that they would do such a thing? Ooh, I chafe at that. And because of my own childhood drama from all those rules, all those people point their fingers and tell me how bad I was. I, I want to build people up and tell them Christ loves them and that identity in Christ. And you don't need marijuana because you got Jesus. That's the way to say it. But don't point the finger at them people, you know. Yeah, it's really powerful, Ken, just the perspective. And and I am admiring your bookshelf behind you because <laughs> it looks like you've read a lot of the books that I'm currently reading. Like I see Andrew Murray and Jonathan Edwards and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and a lot of these old dead guys that literally there's a staff <laughs> right over there. And um, I'm just drawn to deep wells of depth and substance and i think the nice thing sometimes about some of those biographies is we we can read a different um viewpoint that isn't so infiltrated or influenced by today's culture and society and there's mm -hmm. so much theology and um, just wisdom and i'm inspired by that and then talking to you as you lead the promise keepers mm -hmm. i'm reminded of two back-to-back -back consecutive memories with my dad promise really? Yep. Promise Keepers came to town, 1996, Minneapolis, the Metrodome. And my dad and I went and it was just a cool like father-son bonding experience. Um, and we had a lot of those at the Metrodome going to a Vikings game or a ton of Twins games and stuff like that. But he also had a Oldsmobile Delta 88 pickup or a, um, like sedan. And in the sedan was a cassette player. And I would hit repeat, repeat, repeat on this 1996 Let the Walls Fall Down album of Promise Keepers that, or that they had sung and my dad had got it, Promise Keepers. And so I just say all that to say of like when, when this came through and I was like, hey, we're going to talk to Ken and Promise Keepers. I just think that there's something about um, the father-son relationship, something mm. about the family. And I'd love to hear your thoughts off script here a little bit, but just about the family in today's culture and what I, I ask it through the lens of I'm a young dad. We have two young kids mm -hmm. and just the priority of marriage and parenting and family. Can you talk about what maybe God is teaching you about family and the importance of it? You know, I, I find that you learn a lot about yourself when someone asks you a question you weren't ready for and you blurt out an answer and then you find, oh, that I didn't know I thought that, right? <laughs> I, I was asked on a TV interview one time, why are you so passionate about men's issues that you took over Promise Keepers? And I said, I'm, I'm not particularly passionate about men's issues at all. I'm passionate about protecting women and children. Mm. And when men are screwed up, women and children suffer. And I was like, oh, hey, that was pretty profound. Um, I think you can trace the issues in culture breakdown to men. And so every child, the, the thing about a love of a mother is it's one of those things that's pretty constant. I mean, there are some, some terrible things that that's not true, but for the most part, the love of a mother is the constant. The love of the father is the variable, right? Ooh. Every daughter wants to feel safe protected um, and know that she's secured by the love of her father. Every son wants a hero. That's his dad. And when they don't have that, they end up screwed up. Again, we talked wow. about trauma. 
I know so many really godly men, famous pastors who are, who are raised in single mom households who are still screwed up. They're in their seventies and they're still jacked up because of their dad. So we, in, in our culture today, we're being told over and over again that men are some sort of giant um, sexual being that just can't contain themselves. And that um, we just sort of need to, you know, get around all that women are supposed to sort of somehow get around all that. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Mm-hmm. And so men, you know, we talk about pornography for a minute, what it's doing to crush our culture and our society. If, if, if the Barna stuff is right, 70% of American men look at pornography three times a week. Mm-hmm. That's 58% of evangelical Christian men, 50% of pastors. How in the world is a guy looking at that supposed to make his daughter feel uh, safe and protected and secure? How is he going to teach his son self-discipline and how in the world is he going to make his wife feel cherished? Mm-hmm. So one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. So for me, a lot of people, when I came into Promise Keepers, thought I was going to somehow um, come in and tell the women how they were supposed to be and make this macho thing. And I actually threw all that out of the way. And I, I've been asked many times, well, tell me about women, this women, that. And I'm like, hey, my role is not to tell women how to behave. I, I run a men's ministry and I'm here to talk to men. So I get out of that one real easy. Um, I, you know, tell women they, they should submit. You know what? It's, that's not my job. What my job is to tell men to be the kind of man that they love so much that is so respectable that she wants to be with him wherever he goes because of who he is. Yeah. That's what men need to hear. They need to hear one of the fruits of spirit is self-control. And they need to understand that they will be held accountable, saved, unsaved for their family. There is a judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. We will all stand before that judgment seat. And Jesus say, what did you do with what I gave you? I gave you a beautiful wife. I gave you wonderful kids. What did you do? It doesn't mean that your marriage is always going to be happy if you did everything right. I've got a friend who loves Jesus more than anything. He's an amazing guy. He has two daughters. His wife left him, had an affair. And I know that guy. I've discipled him forever. And I know that he was a godly man in every step of the process. So it doesn't mean that everything's going to work out great. It does mean there's the odds are a lot higher that they're going to work out great. And it does mean that at that judgment seat of, of Christ, God's going to say, I gave you a beautiful wife and she screwed up, but I taught you th- things through that and enter into my rest have great rewards because you did what I said. So last thing I want to say on that is I think, you know, I talk to a lot of older men, obviously the promise keepers. And I tell them all the time, you have screwed up. We've all screwed up. I think the most valuable phrase any husband and father can know is I'm sorry. I screwed up. Would you forgive? And a true apology is not, Hey, uh, Micah, I was late. Sorry. No, a true apology is Micah. I was late. I didn't value your time. I put my own time above your time and I won't ever do that again. Would you forgive me? That's an apology. It's, it's acknowledging what somebody else, what you did. And I'm telling you, it's so effective for your kids. And I don't care if your kids are two or 42, that daughter still wants to believe in her father. And that son still wants to be his hero. And they may be lots of bitterness, but I'm sorry. It's incredibly effective for her father. Yeah, it's it's incredible, Ken. I I love those comments, and what I'm really reminded of is something I heard. I think it was Bishop TD Jakes talk about, and it was talking. He was talking about trees and tables, and how God creates trees, and and 
he gives us the imagination to imagine tables and to create things and to just we're created in his image to then create things. And um, I'd, I'd love, it just reminds me of potential. When you speak of marriage, I think of potential. When you speak of children or families, I think of potential that comes in the next generation. And can you speak to the potential of men for a second? The potential of men. Micah, what, in what way do you want me to answer that? That's a really broad one. And you, you made an exclamation like you, like, can you narrow that for me? For sure. For sure. What I mean, can I'd love for you to speak to like, maybe what you, you had mentioned earlier that culture really paints uh, kind of a negative picture for mm-hmm. men. And to me that, that shows maybe problems or culture, society. Um, but what do you think a potential, Christ following men speak to the potential greatness that's inside of them. So let's look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you're saved through faith, right? Even the faith that saved you is a gift from God. Not a works, let's not mention boast. But Ephesians 2, 10, the very next verse says, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So every one of us, when we got saved, there is a plan that God has for our life that was laid out the foundation of time, right? And we will be rewarded in all the scriptures that, that go into, I go into that in my book about, about running the race to win. Let's go back and look at Moses for a minute. So Moses is raised in the house of Pharaoh. He is raised as a prince of Egypt. And he is raised in the ultimate, at that time, empire with all the best teaching he would have had, especially back in those days, hand-to-hand combat, been, been an expert in all these different ways as a soldier, literature, everything. At 40 years old, he feels the call of God on him to free his people. He knows there's a great call in his life, but he's tired of waiting on God. I always say that one of God's favorite words is wait. He's always training us and training others to get us into his will. And we're often not ready. So Moses, but Moses is tired of waiting. He's 40, man. He's a stud. He's ready to go. When he goes out and he beats an Egyptian to death. And you know exactly what he was doing. And the next day he goes out to his people. I'm going to lead this revolution. I'm going to free my people. And they tell him, who the heck do you think you are? Get lost. Moses flees. And what happens to him? I mean, first thing he does is he comes out to the well, and there's these shepherds that are going to come out and really cause problems to these young girls. So he goes in and beats up all the shepherds. I mean, Moses is a stud. And the girls run. Zipporah runs back to her dad, Jethro. And she's like, this Egyptian guy just like kicked the butts of all these shepherds that were going to hurt us. And he's like, well, bring him back here. I mean, we live out in the desert. And, you know, I want him to marry one of my daughters, right? <laughs> so this is Moses. I mean, he goes there, beats a guy to death, going to do the revolution, rejected, immediately goes out to the desert, sees some girls in distress, beats up all the shepherds. And now he spends 40 years walking around the desert as a shepherd. 40 years. Wow. Because, of his, because he jumped the gun, because he got ahead of God. Finally, when God comes to Moses in a burning bush. Now imagine Moses. He's 80. Right. His kids, his, his firstborn son is like 38. Mm-hmm. And, and Moses is like, you know, back in the day, I was kind of a stud. I was kind of a big deal. And his kid's like, dad, you've just smelled like sheep my whole life. Like, you know, at, at, at 80 years old, when God appears to him and he goes on for two chapters about all the stuff he's going to go through Moses, it was everything the 40-year-old Moses would have wanted to hear. Wow. 80-year-old Moses, after 40 years of being in the desert, he says, pick somebody else. Wow. Now he's ready to serve God. And so the potential for men is is substantial because we have so much 
physical power. We were made to be the provider on all those things. But masculinity is strength under control. It's mm. strength that is gen- gentleness has comes through there, but gentleness by choice, not gentleness because I'm a coward, not gentleness because I'm weak. Because we look at Jesus as our, as our example. Jesus was the ultimate. He was pretty harsh to a lot of people. I mean, you know, when he was running through there with a bull whip and turning over your money tables, mm-hmm. he didn't seem he Jesus was gentle by choice, not because he didn't have any choice. So I have really worked hard to demachoize the men's ministry movement. I really I see all this stuff. It's always some dude with a sword and motorcycles and rock, you know, loud noise. I'm like, oh, for crying out loud. Like, <laughs> you know, masculinity is not that. Masculinity, my dog's name is Atticus. He's named after Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird. And I always hold up Atticus Finch. You want to know what a man is? Read To Kill a Mockingbird or go watch the movie with Gregory Peck. He's this single dad who wears cardigan sweaters, who sits on his rocking chair on his porch, and he stands against the whole town to defend someone who's falsely accused. And they're all against him. And he's not going to take it. He's gentle and he's loving and he's absolutely as strong as can be. That's a man. That's so good. I've not read that probably since seventh grade. So that'll go back on my reading list right there. Older, <laughs> how much you like that book. I'll probably understand you know? it a lot more instead of being 13 and <laughs> trying right. to read. It. Oh my gosh. Ken, when you talk about just the waiting, I think so many people, men and women who are listening to this podcast and the audience um, between the ages of 18 and 30, or maybe they're leading the people of 18 to 30. How do we patiently wait on God's time when we want to have those Moses moments or we want to push the envelope? We wish we were married yesterday. We wish that we had our big job and we want to make 150000 on our first job offer, or we want to get through this depression and this anxiety and be a different season. And how do you define the wait, like the waiting process? But there's also a weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, on our shoulders or on our spirit that can come along with our calling in the process of the character development that needs to take place. How would you just encourage the listener today who maybe feel like, wow, like I feel like I'm this horse and I'm getting ready in the race and the gate's not open, but I'm ready to go and I want to jump the gate and I want to go before the gun goes off and I want to get this thing going. But if we go too soon, we're going to miss it. If we wait too long, we're going to miss it. So how do we wait on God's timing and enjoy the process? Because so many people, we wish time away and then we get to where we wish we would be and we're not the person, we did not become the person in the process, if that makes sense. Boy, it's a great Great question. So let me tell you a story from my life that'll be helpful. So I was on the Los Angeles Police Department, and then I retired, and then I I started a business and I built a huge business, an international business. And I retired in 2012 at the old age of 45, which to a lot of your audience does think that's old, but to me it seems like <laughs> well, that's pretty crazy. That's amazing. I, my idea was to be 45, finished, got my daughter in the Liberty University, coached my son's football teams, and just do not a whole lot of nothing right? The American dream. It's exactly what Satan says every Christian should do, right? Worry about yourself. I, w- I was in, um, I've always been a man of, of deep prayer, right? And I get on my knees and I have a place I go. I was in prayer and uh, God came to me in a really vivid way and said, Ken, I did not put you through all I did and teach you all I did so you could ski and hike for the rest of your life. Now, wow. I'm a Baptist. So it's not like God talks to me all the time. Like this was a pretty big moment. I, I always joke when I tell the story and say, God, I'm a Baptist. You're not supposed to talk to me, but the heavens opened up. 
which is funny. My wife is extremely prophetic, so it's very inconvenient for my theology. When I my absolutely wife... love it. She ruffles so the not, feathers. I'm not a Baptist anymore. That's my old joke. Right? <laughs> um, so, and I said, well, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, are you willing to be as ambitious for my kingdom as you were for your kingdom? Ooh. Whoa. And it came with a stern warning. Be careful of your answer. It's going to cost you your life. This was 2012. And I said, I don't know. I said, God, I'm tired. I've been running business. I've had thousands of employees. I'm sick and tired of people whining at me, having to fire people, getting sued. Like, I feel like I've earned the right to take it easy for a while. And God said, that's okay, but you missed my full blessing. Mm. And I saw this vision of standing at the judgment seat of Christ, where I saw this life, this nice little life on my ranch in Colorado. And then I saw what I could have accomplished had I given all, but it never happened. And I wept and I wept. I had weeping and gnashing teeth. It still took me two hours of wrestling with the Lord. And I said, okay, Lord, um, I'll give all whatever. And I'm thinking, you know, it's Nigeria living in a hut, right? I mean, seriously. Right. And I said, okay, Lord, whatever you, I'll, I'll give all. And he said, I'll tell you what I have for you when you're ready. And I didn't hear from him again for four years. I got tired of waiting. And so I was praying. I was coming to my wife, praying. I'm saying, um, L, God keeps, I mean, he called me, he had this call and now he won't talk to me. And I'm just sitting here. It's been like a year. And so she prayed. She can't, she said, can I keep getting one word? Wait, wait. I'm like, I don't, I don't like that word. Go get a different word. <laughs> and so I took my little new Testament with the Psalms and the Proverbs and I took a thermos full of coffee and a sandwich and I climbed up this mountain in, in Evergreen, Colorado. And I sat there and I, I watched the sun come up and I said, God, I'm going to read this Bible all day and drink my coffee and eat my sandwich until you answer me what you were calling me for. What was that all about? And I'm not leaving until you talk to me. And I don't know what I'm going to do if it gets dark out here and cold, but I'm in this for the long haul. So I opened up my Bible and just started reading. Where did I go? The very first verse I came to, Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord, be patient and strong and wait on the Lord. <laughs> and I started to laugh. And it was like God was saying, look, kid, let's not do this all day. I'm going to give you your answer right now. You're going to wait. Now, what happened was when Promise Keepers came, I had no, I did not want anything to do with Promise Keepers. It was, it's a longer story. But I realized um, when I took over Promise Keepers, the amount of hatred I got, hmm. not just from the left, from the godless, but I'm talking from the church, sure. the legalism and the all, I mean, it was, it was that it was my childhood all over again. Of, sure. You better get your doctrine right and you better tell the women and you better. And then over here on the left, I was getting massive death threats. They, they had a big article on me in USA Today. Talk, we had people, I, I'm, I'm talking in hundreds. Where does this guy live? We're going to kill him. Because Satan's entire plan, he's been laying this down for hundreds of years, is dependent on weak men, weak and cowardly men. And it, it destroys his plan of men actually stand up and say, enough, enough of this. I wasn't prepared when God called me. My pride, my my old LAPD mentality, um, there's no way. Now, when I got these death threats and stuff, I said, so we need to pray for these people. What kind of a person? What kind of a person would take the time to write? What kind of a person would be so threatened? Right. Of what I said about men, it's hardly patriarchal, white, you know, terrible stuff. It It's pretty, right? It's truth. 
Mm-hmm. What kind of person would be so deceived by Satan? So I, God had to grow me in him. So I would encourage people. It's really hard when you're young to be patient. It really is. And life seems so, it seems like it's, it's everything moving so much faster as you get older you know, all my kids are adults. My daughter's been married for longer than you guys. Um, it's easier to be patient. The drive for things is not so pushing. And I will just say this last thing, because I don't want to make the answer too long, but you can tell the voice of the Holy Spirit from the voice of Satan. Remember, as my background, I had to really learn, how do I hear from the Holy Spirit? And I'll tell you, everybody listening, the Holy Spirit's favorite word is wait. When he talks to you, he always elevates Christ and he never elevates self. Mm, That's good. Satan's favorite word is hurry. And he always appeals to your ego. Wow. You got to buy that car right now. If you don't hurry to buy that car, someone's going to buy it. You got to, you feel, I go, I got to, whenever you feel anxious, it's never the Lord. No matter what he's calling you to, he's got all of eternity and he knows who we are. So I would just say, when in doubt, wait. Mm, I love that. That's good. It's a powerful encouragement. And, you know, can I, I just think about maybe the, the young guy or gal that's listening right now, who is just um, trying to take that next step. Like maybe they're having that mm-hmm. mountaintop moment where you were like, God, right. I'm not leaving until <laughs> I right. hear right. something from you. What would you, um, what would you have maybe told yourself about courageous faith or not knowing, right? Because you don't know what it would have been, but thinking back to that moment where you just want to hear from God, but you know, it's going to require some faith and and you need some courage to withstand threats or it's, it's like a contact sport out here (laughs) on God's team. Like it's, it's, you're going to get tackled sometimes it is going to hurt. So what would you tell yourself or what, how would you encourage the young leader as it relates to having courage or to strengthen themselves or to depend on God for that faith? Mm. So when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, it's the hall of faith, right? It's the most screwed up list of people you could ever put together. And God says, be like them. Well, wait, be like, <laughs> like Rahab the prostitute, be like Jephthah who came home and for his victory and killed his daughter to show God how much he, how loyal he was, right? I mean, what? Who are they? What are we doing? What did they all have in common? None of them ever backed down from a fight. So God has a great love. When you look at scripture, when you really read of all these people, they were all people of action. And I believe this is where I get into trouble all the time with the church because I am critical of the church. We preach a safe Christianity in the evangelical Christendom. And there's nothing safe about it. In fact, Jesus says, if you're doing it right, you're going to be hated and you're going to be persecuted. So God values courage and people are moving forward. So we're trying to say that in the same time breath as we're saying, but wait, right? How, how do you balance those? And that's why I started off with the, the story of Moses, because you have this super type A crazy ability guy with tons of money and influence. who's going, let's go. And God will, I didn't say go yet. I didn't, you weren't ready. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really, there's nothing more valuable or more important than being a person of prayer. And, yep. you know, James says, um, the prayer of a righteous man avails much. And he goes into the example of, of, um, 
uh, Elijah and his prayer for that it wouldn't rain and that it would rain and what it can do. We shouldn't have to tell each other to pray because if we really believed that we were talking to the creator of the universe and our prayers could alter history, would we have to be, could, you know, try talked into praying. Right. So I think our lack of prayer shows our lack of faith. Right. So I would say if you're just chomping at the bit and it might be in ministry, as you brought up, or, or Micah, you brought up earlier, it might be, I really want a husband. Mm-hmm. I really want a wife. Like I, 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 um, be a person of prayer. It's almost like fasting, you know, fasting. I, I hate fasting. It's just miserable. But, but when you fast, when you feel hungry, that's when you drop to your knees and pray. That's the, the where fasting comes from. Yeah. I would say in the waiting, it is a time where you can grow in the Lord so much to really intimately know him because he has one real goal for all of us, which is an intimate relationship. And we're held from that intimate relationship by our preconceived notions, our traumas we talked about earlier, our sin, all of those things go away in faith and prayer. And so, again, I talked about my friend who's a lot younger than me, whose wife left him. He got saved. He convinced himself that she got saved and they married her. Mm. He, was a, he paid the price. Boy, did he pay the price. The waiting is, you know, I've got another friend. It's an amazing story. I'll tell briefly. He was um, on the Olympic wrestling team for a different country. And he was totally promiscuous, all that stuff, you know, as a great athlete would be. He gets in a car accident and it ends his um, career. He gets saved through the trauma of that. He prayed for a wife. He went 25 years before God gave him a wife. He was 47 when they got married. And what's so interesting about it was his now wife, she was married to some Hollywood mogul who was horrible to her, left her. She gets saved. She's got a five-year-old daughter. He meets her. She's like 15 years younger than him. I think she was like, at the t- no, he was 52 and I got married. She was like 27, has a five-year-old daughter. And they're together and he's now 25 years and he never felt, he was sexually pure for 25 years after all that promiscuity. They became friends. He was discipling, teaching his church and elder in his church. One day they were at the girl's sixth, sixth birthday party and she blew out the candles and, the, and her mom said, you know, what did you wish for? She said, and he, she looked at him and said, I, I wish that he would be my daddy. <laughs> he never even thought of, of dating this. I mean, he kind of given up. They've been married now for like 10 years. That's wow. incredible. That's what waiting does. Waiting so, so hard, but the blessing is just, and gosh, jumping ahead, the mistakes we make. Yeah. How people have shipwrecked when you're my age and you're looking back, you go, oh. Every mistake I've made has come from running too fast, speaking too fast. Hmm. So if you could go back to the beginning and change things in your life, what would you do? You know, would you go back and become a great athlete? Would you go back? And I said, if I could go back and do one thing, I would go unhurt everybody I hurt with my stupid mouth. Hmm. You know, all the things I said, all the things I did too fast without, ha- I wish I could go back with the empathy I have now and hmm. read those relationships and take away that hurt. Yeah. Can, well, that's an amazing reminder when it comes to waiting. And I just want to encourage the listener. I'm like, I was in a season where I was 30 when I got married and some might think that's young. Some might think that's old. I don't know. Um, but when you desire to be married or you desire to be somewhere that you're not yet, or you haven't arrived, quote unquote, according to your own goals, surrendering those to God is number one in prayer. And then I would just encourage the listener, like, just pray that your, your desires and God's desires would be the same. 
And I think so many times we put our desires and we say, okay, and I was guilty of this. And when I was dating somebody who was not going to be my future spouse, I was like, Lord, make him the one. I wasn't asking God if he was the one, I was saying, make him the one. And I was trying like your friend, like trying to convince myself like, oh, well, he's doing this, but he's doing this and he's, ah, uh, you know, and, and I finally took it to God and God said, don't just settle. And I remember breaking up with him. It's like the weight and baggage of our relationship that I should never have been in because I didn't pray first if I should have been in it in the first place. And I convinced myself that he was a good enough claimed Christian that I could make this work and I we could see a future together. But when I found, my, found myself thinking more negatively about him and the things that he was up against, and then instead of more positive, and I was thinking, if we were to get married, how would I get out of this marriage if we were ever to be married? That is the mm. biggest red flag I'd ever felt in my spirit of like, whoa, where'd that thought even come from? So even if it's even outside of marriage, if it's a house, if it's that job you want to land, like what Ken is saying here, wait on the Lord yeah, because our, his plan is better than our plan that we think we have before us. And the blueprints that we are looking at, I pray that it overlaps with the blueprint God has and that you have that compass in hand and you know how to read the north, south, east, west, and you can read the map that God is giving you because you need a compass and you need a map. And I think that is the prayer and the fasting. And with that comes the waiting and you get to enjoy the journey in between versus wishing those seasons away or wishing elements of your life away instead of dealing with who you are, who you're not, and who God wants to make you in the process whether that's a leader, a father, a mother, a pastor, a teacher, whatever that is, we're, we're, we're all students, right? Whether you're in the student classroom right now, um, or whether you want to be a lifelong learner. And that's one thing that Josiah and I, we talk about all the time that we want to be lifelong learners and we want to, we want to deal with our personal issues, marriage issues, egos, everything up front and just give God the glory of what he's done and who are becoming in that process. And a lot of fear can creep in, in that process of feeling exposed, right? Like someone's reading my mail. <laughs> there's, there's that fear, there's that concern. Are they going to like me? Are they going to love me? Are they going to be, are they going to perceive me? But really it's, we have one we have one fan and that's God. And we have to be mindful of the fact that we're making his name famous, not our own. And the most repeated command in the Bible is fear not, fear not. And it's, it's not just a command. It's, it's, it's almost like a mandate. Like, Hey, you guys, this is the Lord most high. Like we are serving him. It's not a suggestion, right? So Ken, how can we actually control whether or not we experience fear? Like, how do we approach fear in a good, godly, and biblical way and not allow the enemy to grab hold of us and pull us under the rug, more or less? <laughs> I'm really glad you asked that question, Micah, because we've been talking a lot about ho holding back from the people who want to run down the road, but there's a lot of other people who are going, wait a minute, uh, that's not me. I'm terrified, right? And and I talk about that in, in a daring faith in a cowardly world about how bravery is being afraid and, and doing the right thing anyway. And cowardice is being is not doing the right thing because of fear, right? So we're, we all have fear. It's just a matter of how do we handle that fear? Right. Anybody not terrified, you mean either you're a psychopath or you're a liar, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's scary. Yeah. One of the ways that fear gets less is by actually doing things. And I can just tell you, like, I remember I've written three books. My first book was called Victors and Victims. And I was on um, 700 Club. I had never 
been on an interview in my life, not the radio, not TV. And I remember they put this makeup on me, you know, and I'm walking out to the students, like the studio audience. And I was so terrified. Literally, there was a part of me that was wanted to turn and run out of the studio with all my makeup on. Like, I was just like, I, I was, I was really mortified. And um, now I do TV reads all the time and I don't even think about it, you know, right. <laughs> like, I'll have Fox News call me and I'll just throw on a baseball cap and turn on my computer and uh, what are we talking about? You know what I mean? What's the difference? We're just doing it, right? Yeah. And you do it enough times and it becomes not scary anymore. In fact, now I love doing interviews. It's so much fun. It's a way of getting out the word of Christ um, in a different way. And I like it better than speaking. Same thing with speaking, actually. I remember the first time and then I took over Promise Keepers and they asked me to come speak at some giant arena with all these famous pastors. I'm like, what am I doing here? I had terrifying well now i love to jump up and speak to people so so doing things is the best way encountering your fear Good. but i would just encourage people being afraid is normal i mean yeah. it's it's okay to be afraid it doesn't mean you don't have faith satan's always going to be chirping at you always going to be forget all that just go do it just go do it and uh do it according to your gift too you know we i talked earlier about ephesians 2 10 there's a there's a plan for your life and and there's this whole idea we have in the church of well i'm supposed to i have to do something great i have to be a pastor i have to write a book i have to run a ministry you know god's giving you the gifts to do what he has for you to do right and the gift that he has for you may be to raise the best kids ever mm-hmm. it may be to get involved on your local school board and say what are you teaching our kids maybe i need to get involved here right it may be to rip to run a great business and treat your employees really well and stand for christ we have a terrible idea in the evangelical church that somehow the varsity are all the pastors and then everybody else is the JV. That is not true. Mm-hmm. We all have our gifts. So sometimes fear may come from because you're trying to be, do something that you're not gifted to do because you weren't called to that. It's good. It's so good, Ken. And I think this is going to sound funny, but one of the things that honestly surprises me is when I meet somebody like you and you're leading and, and you've had accomplishments and then you talk about things that you've been afraid of. And I'm like, Oh, seriously? Like, <laughs> like yeah. for real, or I'll meet somebody I admire and they'll talk about just what you said. Maybe it's a pastor and they're, they are talking about the first sermon mm. they preached and how they were afraid. And I'm like, really? Like that wasn't just me. And I don't know what it is. Um, like sometimes I've, I've met just really influential people and, and it's not hard. they have problems too and it's easy to forget that we're all human and part of humanity is being afraid and so i'm glad that you said that and how we like to end mm-hmm. is put five minutes on the clock go rapid fire and ask you five final things in five minutes you up for that sounds like i better be precise all right <laughs> here we go. go kick it off I'll kick it off what are you doing in Colorado if you get a day off or for fun? Skiing or hiking. I love to be in the mountains. If I, if God would let me do what I want to do, I'd be in the mountains and never come out. <laughs> All right. Question number two. I think we already know this off script, but the listener wants to know, who is your favorite sports team? Oh, well, yeah. You guys know the Minnesota Vikings. Skull. In college, the Oregon Ducks. I was raised in Oregon. And uh, I don't care about basketball or baseball. There you go. That's all right. You guys, I was so pumped when I found out we were talking to Ken before we recorded the podcast. And he's like, oh, you guys are in Minnesota. I'm a Vikings fan. I'm like so happy <laughs> right now. We made a new friend. And Kirk Cousins is the real deal. He's such a godly young man. I, I love that guy. You guys have such a great, you have a great team of great people right now. Wow. 
and excited. Keep praying them on. <laughs> Let's go. Hey, if you could, this is the curveball. If you could ask us any any question mm. today, what would you want to know? Your next child, are you going to stick with the A's? And what if it's a boy? Ooh. We have a we have a boy yep. name that we've had since the very beginning because we've never found out girl or boy until they're mm-hmm. born. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have a boy name that's killer good. Like we'd love to use it. Um, and we didn't we weren't like trying to go with a names. We just loved Avalon's it. name was actually supposed to be Evelyn. And August first, we were driving around, and I was like Evelyn, Evelyn. I'm like. I go, what about Avalon? And Josiah's like, yes, I love it. That's it. Not Evelyn. Avalon if it's a girl. So we already had the middle name picked out. And um turns out she was a girl and she got the name Avalon on the 22nd she was born. So I love that. That's a great name. Yeah. Okay, but, but I'm a cheat. I have two questions though. All right. How do you guys handle the cold in Minneapolis, man? I don't know how you do that. Like I love I've been there when the sun was wrestling and I wanted to die. <laughs> Hey, I'll be honest. Yesterday, eight inches. Eight inches is not a light dusting. That we got dumped on yesterday. <laughs> so let's clarify. Eight inches is getting dumped on, and it, it's pretty cold this morning. Like I left, and it was like, whoo, two degrees. Um, that's that will kick you in the teeth a little bit. But I mean, on a practical level, if we go somewhere warm in the winter, we try to because one escape to somewhere warm like changes the whole game. And it's kind of like having something to look forward to the next season. Like, oh, well, I love fall. And now, you know what, winter, it kind of slows down a little bit. Then spring will come and then like everything turns green. And then, you know, summer, fall, those are my favorites. But yeah. um, also we're pro hot tub. We're we're not against hot tubs. We're pro hot tubs. Hot tub. That's helpful. <laughs> that is helpful. All right. That's too funny. All right, Ken. Um, if you could travel anywhere in the world that you have not yet been, where would you go? New Zealand. Oh. I've been I've been everywhere. And I'll tell you, the most beautiful place that I've ever seen by far is Switzerland. Really? But I find that there are places that are beautiful and places that get into your bloodstream. Um Africa, I've been to many times. I, I love Africa. There's something about it that it, it when you're there, it takes your heart. The other place that's like that for me is Colorado, where I live. And it's funny because I was in Switzerland thinking, and my my wife, her dad's from Switzerland, you know, and so there's there's some so, so, uh, citizenship stuff. We could maybe move there and everything. And and I used to run a huge company with offices there. And I, I remember thinking, this is so stunningly beautiful, but I can't wait to get back to Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Where are you in terms of like uh, Colorado Springs? So I'm right between Denver and Colorado Springs in a town called Castle Rock. Okay. Okay. Because I lived there for a summer when I was interning with my aunt. And then, so she liked Manitou Springs, Colorado Springs, but she lived up the pass. um, And we went trail running one day. What's it called? At the incline. The incline. And I broke my ankle there. And I was like, wow. And I remember I was actually in a season. Now I'm off script. Sorry. I was actually in a season where I felt God calling me to go back to school, finish my internship um, at the church I was at in, in North Dakota. And I was running down the mountain and I was like, I was in a season where I wouldn't slow down. And I was running, not from the Lord, just running at a pace maybe he didn't appreciate. And I was like, literally had worship music on. I'm running, running, rolled my ankle, broke my ankle, had stitches in my knee. And I remember like rolling back up and I'm like, is there bone hanging out? And God spoke to me. He's like, 
Now will you slow down? And he literally, in order for my spirit to slow down and for me not to jump the gun into the ministry world, I felt like he had to physically slow me down. And I was on crutches that whole summer. And God spoke to me the most in those three months. So the incline, it's a wonderful place. And then they get to the emergency room and they're like, actually, there's people airlifted and die up there all the time. I'm like, great to know before you start a trail. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So I love Incline, even though it just became a part of my story. But sorry, Ken, back to you. Final question, Josiah. All right. That's fun, though. Uh, last question is, Ken, if, is there something burning in your heart or your spirit that you'd mm. like to leave young leaders with who are listening of one piece of encouragement? It's funny you should ask that because uh, I was really prompted by the Lord that I should say something that I'm not sure guys like you have heard this. You guys were at that change uh, where social media came in when you were young, but you were you remember life before social media. Yep. I want to say something that I think is very important for Christian leaders to hear right now. This sounds weird, but I think like Josiah, when you think about this, you'll understand that this is a true statement because a good friend of mine, Tim Dunn, said this to me. And I was like, wait, is that men, the biggest fear men have is rejection by women. The biggest fear men have is rejection by women. And I'll, I want to impact it just for a little bit. But what, why that's so important is that in my generation, if you wanted to have a date, ask a girl out, you had to go up and ask her out then or ask her for a phone number. Then you had to call her house because there's no cell phones. And her dad answered and was like, why are you calling my daughter? And, you know, put her on. It was, all, it was just the worst. And then you had to go to the school dance or you had to go to a, a dancing later on and you had to ask girls. So that's how you met people. You didn't, mm -hmm. Right. Today's culture, these young people have never learned how to deal with that. And so what we're seeing is we have young men. I believe a lot of the reason why they're so effeminized and so hostile in many ways and so addicted to pornography a lot of times is because they don't know how to handle the possibility of rejection. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when you ask a girl to dance and she's like, it would go away. That, that, that's not a great feeling, but it sure does make you grow up as a man, right? Mm -hmm. You got to go take the risk. You're with all your buddies. You see the group of girls over there. Someone's got to go ask one of the girls to dance. It was... Well, this culture is not putting up this, this generation. So it's very important for young leaders, I think, to think of ways to get cut through the fact that men for the first time in the history of the world are not risking rejection by women. And therefore they're getting married and haven't experienced this kind of an issue for women. I think it's very encouraging. Men are commanded to what? To love their wives. Women are not commanded to love their husbands. I think it's because um, love is very natural from a, a woman to a man. A man needs to be told. But what are women told to do? Respect their husbands. Yep. Why? Because men need to be respected. Most men, if they're really honest, would be, rather be respected than loved. Mm -hmm. Not they'd like to have both. But it's a devastating thing for a man to feel not respected by his kids or his wife. That's why I'm saying a great reset going all the way back to the beginning of our conversation is I'm sorry. So I do think... For, for those who are Christian leaders, they get this more. This is a very unique opportunity. We are going to, Jesus says to the overcomer, I will pull him up onto my throne at my father's right hand. To who? All Christians? No, just the overcomer. I believe we, we live in a, in a specific time and place right now where there are such great rewards to be had by Christian leaders who stand strong, who overcome, and who pray for wisdom God, let me see your people the way you see your people. And I think that we live in a time where young men desperately need help for the sake of young women. Mm 
because the young men are not learning how to be men risking. And, and so that's why we, again, we see the pornography problem. I didn't close that loop. Pornography never says no. Mm. Pornography never says no. So when you now get to the point where a woman actually wait, she wants to feel safe and protected and loved before their sex, even in marriage, right? You, there, right. It's amazing what happens to a woman's libido when she feels like she's loved, safe and protected. When she knows that her husband's not going anywhere, that he's providing for her, that he's building her up, that he loves her, that he, that she is the object of his eye. It's an amazing effect it has on her libido. It's an amazing effect it has on women's libido when those things aren't true. Mm. And so I would say to all the men out there, we're getting really, you want the old guy to give you the advice. If you are feeling in a place where you're not, your marriage is not as intimate as you want it to be, stop looking at your wife, start looking at yourself. Mm. What can I do? to make myself more attractive to my wife. And by the way, it doesn't have to do with your looks. You don't need to grow a mustache or get a, get a haircut. What you need to do is make her feel cherished, really cherished, not fake cherished, not fake um, stuff, but baby, I would do whatever it takes to be with you for the rest of my life and never stop courting and loving and chasing your wife. Women love to be chased and men love to be chasers. The moment you're sitting your butt on your couch, watching football and you're ignoring your wife, you reap what you sow, baby. So yep. maybe take that advice as a guy's been married for 32 years. Ken, I think that's so good. And I think it goes back to men want, don't, they're fearing that rejection, but I think women aren't being pursued. So a woman doesn't even know how to be pursued by a godly man if there's not a godly man willing to submit to the Lord first, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's just a great thing to to leave the listener on is to whether you're male or female, like look in the mirror, who are you, who have you become and who's God calling you to be? And what do you need to do? What do you need to change? What do you need to add to your life or remove from your life to become the best version of yourself? Not only for you or for the Lord, but for the people around you, your future family, your future employees, your future friends, whatever God has in store become and set foot on a journey to become the best version of yourself and give God the glory, invite him in on the process because he's the only one who can change, who can encourage, who says who you are. And if you can believe the things they said that you are a Royal priesthood, you are chosen, you are loved, you are adored. And when we look to him for our identity, we'll be more confident in who he is and who he's created us to be. And we will be more effective in the long term when it comes to whatever he has in store for you. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And Kim, we just want to circle back to you and say thanks for joining us for this conversation today. Thank you guys for having me on. Go Vikings. There you so- go. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone you know. I'm all wired up right now. Plug me in. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.